Welcome to the first podcast of the second year of Bold Time Religion. My name is Jim Swenson, and I'm a features reporter at the Telegraph Herald. Today I am talking with Christine Dar of the University of Dubuque. She is department head for philosophy, politics, and history, and assistant professor of Christian ethics. Welcome, Christine. Thank you. Uh, could you briefly describe how you ended up here at the UD? Sure. Uh, so we moved to Dubuque after grad school. Um, my husband also teaches at Loris. Um, and as I was an adjunct instructor for a few years at the University of Iowa and then at Loris and then here. Uh, and then um, just through relationships and work that I did, um, they were able to give me a full-time position. And then I kind of transitioned over to um, the position I have now. Uh, what year would you say you moved here? Uh, it was seven years ago. Okay. So... And, and twelve. And at UD since then, or I've been at UD since twenty fourteen. Okay. Yeah. And is it much different than Loris? Is I would guess it's fairly similar. There are a lot of similarities. Yeah, um, some differences as well, but the students are great in both places. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I understand that you're a Christian ethicist by training. Right. Um, In a questionnaire I sent, you mentioned that you became interested in the relationship between belief and action. Mm -hmm. I thought that was kind of interesting. Both how do our beliefs and commitments shape our actions, and how do our actions inform what we believe and care about? I find that true for my Christianity. Mm. Um, Can you give me any personal examples? Sure, yeah. So... um I do a lot of work in the community um, in various capacities, and I the more that I interact with all kinds of different people, um, you know, that teaches me a lot about what it means to be human and different kinds of lives, and, and that has uh, helped me to think critically about my own beliefs and my faith. Mm-hmm. Have you uh, been surprised by some of these things? Does it challenge you? I mean, you're still relatively young, 37. Yeah. Um, How much has it made you grow? You mentioned Mm. a little bit about that. Sure, yeah. I mean, I would say tremendously. um, You know, so it's one thing to teach and read about, um, you know, solidarity or hospitality and a very different thing to uh, try to enact that in my own life. And so, yeah, it's definitely um, given me... um, Hearing people's stories and, and learning about um, different people's struggles has helped me to appreciate in much more complexity and depth um, the problems that people face and the tremendous like strength and courage that they have. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it's informed um, both how I read my the scholarship that I read and how I teach my students as mm-hmm. well. Oh, okay. Uh, you said that your understanding of faith is that it is an experience of wrestling with the truth with what it means to love another human being, learning to trust that living with the command to love others is all that matters. Mm-hmm. Um, where in your life do you find this to be the most difficult challenge? Um, so I guess one place where I feel like it's a challenge is when I get kind of swept up in day-to-day obligations. Um, I... Uh, you know, get focused on the task at hand or whatever I need to do. And so sometimes it's hard for me to be present to the person right in front of me, right, that might, um, you know, my kids or um, a friend that Mm -hmm. might need uh, me to just be with them at that moment. And Mm -hmm. um, I can easily become distracted, right? So what it means to love another person in that moment is often not like checking my phone or thinking about the job that I have to do later on, but but being truly present with that person. Yeah, I, I was thinking when you, when I read that, it does seem like the most personal, the closest people 
um, you tend to maybe take for granted. Mm -hmm. You forget to like, show your commitment and your love because while you're around them all the time, sometimes they annoy you and sometimes <laughs> it's, uh, you know, I like you really a lot right now. Or, no, I love you really a lot, but I, right now I just don't like you. <laughs> <laughs> so I've, I've found that kind of in my situation. Um, I know in this day and age, too, if you really want to commit to that, there are some extreme examples of people that are hard to love. Mm. Um, and the obvious one that comes to my mind, and I've talked to with other people about this, is the president. Mm -hmm. You know, the, um, as much as he's such a uh, polarizing person, if you really want to commit to loving people, you have to try to love that person too and try mm -hmm. to understand. Is that something you try to express to your students? Is that something that mm -hmm. you maybe you even disagree with me that there's only so far you can love? <laughs> Right, I guess the question, the important question there would be, what does love demand, right? Does it demand that I accept other people's views if I find them abhorrent, right? And I would say no. Mm -hmm. um, but that does mean that I <clears throat> treat people with respect. So, like, particularly in my classroom, when I have people that have views that vary um, in significant ways from my own, uh, that doesn't mean that... What, it, what I'm called to do in loving that person is to help them understand their own views and think critically about those views and really try to uh, internalize for themselves um, what they believe and why. Mm -hmm. um, and that showing that kind of respect for their ideas um, doesn't mean that I don't challenge them if they're saying something that is false or um, inconsistent. Uh, but I can do that in a way that respects them as people. Mm -hmm. Have you had very many very many experiences where the student has challenged your belief and it's like, hmm, I know I'm a student, I'm, a, I'm the professor and maybe I should rethink my thoughts at all. Does that ever happen? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <coughs> um, so it's less, um, my pedagogical approach isn't so much that I'm, um, you know, telling them all of my beliefs, but we're looking at different people's ideas and the, I definitely encourage them to challenge the ideas, all of the ideas that are being presented mm -hmm. um, and questioning them. I think that's really important. I have never received personal challenges um, in the classroom. Um, I, I work really hard to make sure that everyone knows that I um, am open to people asking me questions and, and bringing forth um, you know, critiques to whatever I'm presenting, mm -hmm. and I think that's really valuable for yeah. everyone. Yeah, because um, you've probably touched on this a little bit, but uh, you say your goal is to cultivate a classroom atmosphere where students can feel comfortable sharing mm -hmm. their views and talking seriously, taking seriously the views of others. Mm -hmm. um, and again, that doesn't mean you can't challenge views, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, I remember a UW criminology professor I had, I went to the University of Wisconsin, um, who talked about the effectiveness of the death penalty. Mm. And on, on Monday, he, he had a stack of books to bolster the claim that it, was, that it reduced crime. And we all copiously took notes. And we come in Wednesday, and there's that stack of books. Mm -hmm. But it's a different stack that says it doesn't work. Mm. And, I mean, that left an impact on me still. Right. Just that little thing that you think you know, or you think a professor is telling you something, but then he's teaching you that, you know what, there's always two sides mm -hmm. to all that. 
Or more than two sides, right? So oftentimes in the classes that I teach, like um, sex ethics, for example, it's not always an either or, like in the um, debates that or the conversations that we have about abortion, for example, it's uh, like in the media, definitely either or, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But it's a lot more complex than that. And so um, a a big part of what I try (coughs) to do is just to help students to see and understand the complexity of these issues Mm -hmm. um, so that they're less uh, or hopefully, uh, you know, as they grow up, uh, uh, continue to grow and and move into kind of the real world, um, (laughs) that they would push back against the idea that there's only one or the other, Mm -hmm. right? And helping people to see that gray area, I think, opens their eyes in a new way. Yeah. Um, Abortion, I think, is an interesting one because I, um, mine has changed a little bit over the years. When I was in college, way back in the day, they they would say that there was definitely a spot when when a fetus would become a human and mm-hmm. you, that should be taken into consideration so I was pretty much real strong pro-life and um, I evolved when I my first wife was very strong um, I actually was pro-choice more mm-hmm. in college mm-hmm. I was more pro-life after I married my first wife mm-hmm. um, and I look at the extremities of both cases right now these states are passing these laws on one extreme or the other extreme mm-hmm. and I think it goes to your point that there's a gray area. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think there's a possibility that these extremes can come into this gray area, or is there just too much rhetoric out there that kind of controls the narrative? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that it's definitely possible in like one-to-one conversations to find that. I don't think that <clears throat> like the media or politicians are too interested in finding gray area, right? I think that there's a lot of political capital (laughs) in um, exploiting those divisions. Mm -hmm. Um, But definitely, you know, when I'm talking to a friend or even someone I don't know and that conversation comes up, I think there are ways, you know, when you're looking someone in the face, it's a lot harder to um, take that hard line. Yeah. Yeah, it just seems like if we could agree to not have this extreme here and not this extreme here, we could begin a conversation. Mm-hmm. But you make a good point. It's much easier one-to-one or in a smaller group. So um, I think there's a lot of issues like that. I, I look at climate change. I'm sure that's a huge thing. Mm-hmm. In fact, one of your courses is... I, I teach an environmental ethics class. Yeah. yeah. Um, is there much discussion on, you know, the viewpoint that there is a... It's pretty much evidence that there is climate change is... Um, caused by humankind, mm-hmm. but is is it all humankind, or is there some? Is there a belief that this Earth has always done this? I mean, mm-hmm. there's been extreme cases, and is that acceptable in discussions in school? It just seems like it might not even be like, well, if you if you believe in that, mm-hmm. you you can't even come to first base. Mm-hmm. I mean, how open are, is like an issue like climate change? Right. So I think climate change is an interesting. Um, example of how it's not always constructive to talk about how there are two sides. Um, I, the And I've had lots of conversations with um, science faculty about this as well, right? Like, how do you approach that? And I yeah. think um, when 97% of climate scientists and other scientists have all accepted um, one or, you know, some complex <laughs> way of, of describing things, I don't know that giving equal time to um, a view that has very little scientific basis is even productive. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's intellectually honest, dishonest. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, we start with the assumption that um, climate change is happening, that it's human-caused, 
um, to a significant degree. And mm-hmm. so thinking about like, what are the, um, you know, what are the moral implications of that for us? Uh, you know, and I do think that it's a really important conversation to have about why people um, are continuing to assert that climate change is not caused by humans or not happening at all. Yeah. That's an important conversation yeah. to have. Yeah, that's another extreme where I, I think people are, I'm not sure why they would be blind to that. So I think some of it has to do with, I know I have a good friend at work who's a Christian, mm-hmm. and um, we both kind of say ultimately it's up to God. I mean, mm. God has control if you're a real Christian he might be controlling this by having us do this. Mm. And we both agree that we need to do everything we can to be good stewards of the earth as a Christian. Mm. And when what what kind of bothers me is some of the, the scary things where 12 years from now, if, if we don't do certain things, and they're kind of making it sound like the world is going to end. Mm. When ultimately, you know, the, the, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a slow thing, you know. Water's going to rise in certain places, so people might have to retreat. I mean, mm-hmm. the humankind is not going to die in 12 years. And that's what I think someone who looks at it more with nuance like myself, I totally believe we're causing it. I don't know how much control we have. Mm-hmm. Like, let's say we can all get together and we reduce the temperature by 2 degrees. Is that? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, probably 4. That's 4. Like... What if we accidentally do it by 5? Mm-hmm. Then... I mean, how much control, if we do reduce it by five or six, all of a sudden it's going to be too cold. Mm. One degree makes a huge difference. So I just, I, I really look at it philosophically more than like, we've got to do what we can. And America is way ahead of the curve, as you probably know, mm. cutting down the greenhouse <laughs> compared to China and India and some of these other places. Mm. I mean, that's statistically, scientists have proven that too, but mm-hmm. I don't want to get into a long discussion about sure. it. To me, I totally agree. It's not equal time. Mm-hmm. You know, 97%. I believe them. I just think it's one of those um, issues that can be philosophical looking at when we've had ice ages and we've had warming things. Probably not as fast. Right. That's that's the thing, so. Yeah, but then I think that, like, um, since we ha- we're so much more densely populated and geopolitics is so um, contentious right now, I think yeah. that... Um, you know, even though I agree that humankind isn't going to die out in 12 years, I think that the implications of, um, you know, oceans rising and um, intense weather events are pretty staggering yeah. and worrying. Yeah. Right? So um, that's the thing about <coughs> climate change is that it's not just about climate change. It's also about immigration and food policy and um, disease control and all of these other things. Mm. Do you have any other memorable debates on other issues like immigration or mm-hmm. uh, like traditional family is, mm-hmm. is one where um, it seems like if you're not like on the right side of history on some issues, it doesn't become an, an honest debate. It becomes name-calling. It becomes, mm-hmm. you know, you're homophobic or you're racist mm-hmm. instead of looking at the nuances of these things. Mm-hmm. Um, do any of those kind of topics come up? Or are, there, are they a little too heavy or is it just one-sided? Right, no, I mean, we <coughs> definitely talk about that. So, um, like, in my sex ethics class, we talk a lot about marriage and the different ways that marriage has been um, kind of constructed over time. Mm-hmm. Right, and so oftentimes when the conversation about um, marriage, um, specifically within a Christian context, happens, um, you know, there's a referencing to biblical marriage, and um, so I often point out, well, 
you know, mostly what biblical marriage looked like was polygamy. <laughs> um, and so that often surprises <coughs> students. Or um, another issue that we talk a lot about is um, sexual orientation, but also sexual identity, right? And so thinking about trans issues. Um, and um, that, for a lot of students, isn't, it isn't so much contentious, but it's just not something that they have thought much about. Mm-hmm. And so part of it is just orienting them to um, the experiences of trans people um, and then also um, helping them to think about um, different ways that different Christians have approached the issue. So there's a tendency to believe that all Christians everywhere believe that, um, you know, whatever thing. But it's always more complicated than that. Yeah, there's definitely far-right Christians versus mm-hmm. um, liberal Christians versus all these different. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that's why when I'm doing the... The interviews, I like to try to expand my own because I'm more of a traditional Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I probably mention this in others because I, don't, I just don't think it's um, that I should be labeled if I look at, if everything's ideal, you have two parents, mm-hmm. um, loving parents, want to do everything right, that a traditional father and mother just seems like it would be a little bit more of an ideal. Mm-hmm. And... That doesn't mean any of the others are bad. Um, I mean, there's some, obviously there's great, we've expanded uh, marriage so well to the benefit of children. Mm -hmm. That's the main thing, I think. Mm -hmm. And I just, um, you know, if I would go, let's say, on social media and and express that, you can imagine what would happen. Mm, And I don't know if that's fair. I mean, um... You don't have to be right or wrong. It's just my opinion. Mm-hmm. Why, why can't I have that opinion from over the history of, you know, Jesus didn't say go marry many women, you know. Right. Mm-hmm. So there was obviously polygamy, and there's been polygamy in all kinds of cultures, not just Christianity. Mm-hmm. And to me, if marriage is open to, if, if we can have a gay marriage, why can't we have polyga- polygamous marriages? I think that's the future. Mm-hmm. Because people who who look at it like, well, we'll never do that, that's... But if they're consenting adults, I think you're, people who say, well, gay marriage is okay, and you people who didn't like that are wrong, mm. people who eventually will say, well, you know, polygamous marriage is fine. The, the multiple sexes in this marriage all want to do it. Mm. If they're all, they, they're fine with it. I think it's going to be hard for people who believe in gay marriage but don't believe in that to accept that 10, 20 years from now. Interesting. I mean, mm. how can you... You know, I've had this debate with my wife. She's a little bit more of a liberal mm-hmm. viewpoint on things. And <clears throat> I don't know how you can say that's wrong if it's all consenting adults. Right. Right, yeah. <clears throat> I mean, I think that, yeah, it's... Um, you know, consent would be the important thing, but then also thinking about how power is operating in each of those relationships. Right, and so if it's a situation <clears throat> where... Um, you know, people with equal power are entering into a relationship that is benefiting all of them, then, um, I I mean, I I would agree that it would be difficult to say that that is wrong, but this other thing is fine. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the perfect answer, I think, because people look at polygamy now and thinking that the man dominates two or three women. Mm -hmm. That's been kind of the the tradition of it. Mm -hmm. But who's to say that there aren't heterosexual or homosexual marriages where one is really dominating. Right. They, they make it work. I ask most of the people about afterlife. Mm-hmm. 
And I was surprised by your answer, mm -hmm. just because of your classes you teach. You said, I'm a materialist, so I don't believe in an afterlife. Mm -hmm. Well, I believe there's, there will be millions of materials in heaven. Mm. I mean, are you basically saying you think it's all just poof and we're gone, or is there more to it than that? Um, no, I don't think that there's more to it than that. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, when we die, we die, and what we have um, is our lives here and now, and I think that that makes um, our lives here and now a lot uh, really important, right, that um, I believe that we are called by God to um, do what we can to <coughs> mitigate suffering um, and to love other people, and um, we have this time to do it. So you believe in a God that doesn't have heaven? Mm-hmm. Huh. Interesting. Mm. So, what about how do you view Jesus? <laughs> In four minutes or less. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you must have believed he was a great prophet or a great teacher. Sure, sure. I mean, I uh, <clears throat> don't want to get in trouble here. <laughs> I'm already <But> in trouble. <laughs> We don't get thousands of listeners. So that's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that, um, you know, Jesus uh, did have a lot of really important, I think that he was, a, you know, a manifestation of the love of, of God, you know, and that what we see, um, what his followers experienced after his death was an, um, an experience of resurrection and transformation. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, what happens when we come together as a community of people to love each other and to serve each other, <coughs> I think, is the resurrection. Yeah. So as a philosopher, as a, have you ever, how long has it taken you to come to the conclusion after all your thinking and philosophizing that there is nothing mm -hmm. afterward? It, do you ever think, want your mind to expand and, and maybe even contemplate that there could be a, a like a new earth and a, mm. that someday you we can all go and see the heavens and we can go to the bottom of the ocean and we can just see the the, the infants who died and the people who suffered on earth all their life come. Have, have you thought a lot about that or? Sure. I mean, so. <clears throat> um, you know, I think that probably my evolution in that thinking started when I was in college, um, you know, when I had to really wrestle with um, the notion of hell, right? So I don't yep. know, um, thinking through what that means and the consequences of that and the implications for who God is, um, you know, really, um, I wrestled with it a lot. Uh, and so, I mean, so I think that I could say that, um, you know, I could contemplate it. Maybe I'm more agnostic about even the value of it. I think that it's often used as a distraction, right? So, um, you know, offering the possibility of an afterlife, um, you know, sometimes in order to get obedience in this life. I see that a lot mm -hmm. um, in my students' thinking. Um, but then also, uh, you know, I think that what we have here and now is, is what needs to um, be improved and, and developed. And Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, people, Christianity has used hell as a scaring point. Mm -hmm. It is, it's like, okay, this, um, and I look at it from a practical standpoint, and not, I don't know if, if you've seen any of these, but from a, just a real philosophical point, if I'm wrong, I'm going to just be like you. Mm -hmm. If I'm right, there will be people who go to hell. Mm -hmm. That's not my choice, that God is... God. I mean, if you really believe God is God, He can do what He wants. Mm -hmm. People tend to, and I'm I'm guilty of this because as a Christian, but I I talked with an atheist for one of these and a humanist, and mm -hmm. 
one of them said, I wouldn't, if, if there's a God who sends people to hell, I don't want to believe in that God. Mm-hmm. Well, if he's God, you, he, if you don't want to believe in him, that's your choice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's not going to make your life any better chance of going to heaven. I mean, if, so as a Christian, it would be wrong of me to not at least point that kind of thing out. I point it out in my column and people can take it. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if I'm dead and it's poof, I'm trying as hard as the humanist, as hard as the person who believes in God to do good things on earth, mm-hmm. not not to get to heaven. I I can't be good enough to get to heaven. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's just uh, sometimes I throw these things out and, I, <laughs> and I've gotten some great answers from people. Right. Well, and I think really <clears throat> one thing, so another way that I um, talk about this with my students is that, you know, there's not one... Um, monolithic view on the afterlife even within Christianity, right? So to say that um, you know, God is um, all-powerful and that means partly that, you know, there's this consequence of heaven and hell um, you know, that's not the only way to to, um, you know, do theology, (laughs) right? Or to understand who God is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I respect people taking a choice and I talked to a Muslim, and mm. he explained his viewpoint of heaven, that everyone's going to get there, but most of them are going to go through a fiery, you probably know this, mm. a fiery stage, and it was some fascinating. Mm-hmm. It's like, he almost suffered more when we talked about that than, because he's like, boy, I just know I'm going to go through some fiery stage, and I'm doing the best I can, mm. and um, so I'm basically I'm... That's defending religion very well here because that's a neg- negative part of that religion. Sure. And it's uh, old time religion to me is talking about this leaving and me leaving and thinking. Here's another person who believes in God that mm-hmm. doesn't believe in any afterlife. Mm-hmm. And hopefully you leave and thinking, here's a guy who's very sincere about this, but is, I absolutely judge nobody. Mm-hmm. If If every single person joins me in heaven, I'll be happy. Mm. I don't expect, I'm not going to be jealous of someone who partied all the time because there are people who believe everybody, you know, you can be sinful, you can, I mean, very sinful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can give God the, the finger mm-hmm. and somehow you're still going to go to heaven because God's so loving. Mm-hmm. I'll be, I'll walk them I want everyone to go to heaven. Mm-hmm. So, um, when I saw that I was like, very interesting. <laughs> Is there anything else? Uh, I've rambled on much more than usual. I'm re- I apologize. Oh, no, it's a really fun conversation. Good, mm-hmm. good. Um, yeah, thank you. Is there anything else you can think of when you, when I said, you know, I'm going to come and we're going to talk about philosophy, we're going to talk about things that, oh, no, that I didn't touch on? Oh, no, it's some of my favorite things. No, I think that that was great. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to thank um, Professor Christine Dar for joining me today. Um, I've enjoyed the conversation. It's the start of the second year of this, and I hope uh, I can find more interesting people like yourself. Uh, to find more of our podcasts, go to telegraphherald.com slash podcast. <laughs>